Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. Welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, just a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media at Facebook. Snapshots in Hockey History, and on Twitter at Snapshots In. I'm in shock. I can't believe it. My Washington Capitals, they got bounced last night. What the heck? That's not how this was supposed to play out. I had the Capitals going probably at least to the third round, but shows you what I know. I'll tell you, the Carolina Hurricanes played really, really well. Uh, I thought the Capitals did a good job in overtime of clogging up the middle and really only giving the Carolina Hurricanes the outside. But as a result, they really couldn't create much offense. So the period and a half in overtime, or really, I guess it was almost two periods of overtime, it uh, it wasn't the most exciting hockey, but you're sitting there on the edge of your seat waiting for it to happen, and they lose. But that's the way she goes. It's all right. We still got plenty of other series. The one I'm looking forward to next round is probably the New York Islanders versus the Carolina Hurricanes. I'm looking forward to that one. I also want to see what the San Jose Sharks do out west. I think that's going to be an interesting one. So uh, I love the playoffs. I can't believe my Capitals are done, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop watching hockey. I vented enough this morning. We're going to go ahead and cut to part two of our interview. That's, after all, why everybody's here. And I think everyone will enjoy this interview with Jerome Bouchard. We talk more playoffs, talk about playing against the Minnesota North Stars, the Edmonton Oilers of the 80s, tons of good stuff. Get into the Wirtz family a little bit. And speaking of the Wirtz family, I actually want to share something. I, I made a comment in the interview uh, during part one, where I said the Wirtz family really built the Chicago stadium. And there was a listener that wrote in. His name was Eric, and he was from Chicago. And I want to thank Eric for writing in. Eric took the time out of his day to write me a nice email. And I want to share this with everybody, especially because as a hockey historical guy that really enjoys hockey history, I probably should have known this story. And I do know I've read it before. I guess I completely forgot about it. But anyways, here's the email. Hi, Brett. I listened to part one of your DuPont interview, and I thought I would email you a minor correction. Towards the end of the episode, you mentioned Wirtz as having built the old Chicago Stadium, which is incorrect. Actually, Patty Harmon, back then in the 1920s, a local sports promoter, helped organize and build the stadium. He went around and got the financing, which included James Norris, who would have a part ownership along with Arthur Wirtz of several large arenas around the United States, which were used for sports and entertainment. Patty was actually trying to lure a hockey club to Chicago, but lost to another investment group, which would later sell their expansion interest to the man that helped bring the Chicago Blackhawks into existence, a coffee baron and ex-World War I Army soldier named Frederick McLaughlin. This is also why the Blackhawks start their existence playing in the old Chicago Coliseum and not the Chicago Stadium, at least for the first few years, and then they later rented the stadium from the Wurtz-Norris partnership. It's complicated, but the Norris and the Wirtz family have ties to both the Blackhawks and Red Wings at various points in history. It was Arthur Wirtz, current Hawks owner Rocky's grandfather, that partners with James D. Norris, the son, not the elder Norris, that helped finance the stadium, and team president Bill Tobin, along with other financial partners, to purchase the team after McLaughlin dies from his estate. I'm really, really glad Eric wrote in, and he took the time out of his day to correct me. 
and share with me the real story. And I remember reading about this in Net Worth, which was probably written 25 years ago. It was a great book on the pension issues that the NHL was experiencing. It probably came out in like 1990. I mean, after all, I think the last chapter was kind of the whole Eric Lindros saga. The book also includes some historical information on how the original six franchises were held. And they talk about the Major McLaughlin or Frederick McLaughlin, excuse me, they refer to him as Major McLaughlin, how he came to find the Chicago Blackhawks. And if I'm not mistaken, the book also talks about how that Norris Wirtz partnership that uh, Eric brought up also had some ownership in Madison Square Garden in the New York Rangers at one time. So, Eric, thanks again for writing in. I'm glad you corrected me. As I said in the past, I want these to be accurate. I want these to be like a historical database so people can go through and listen to memories from the National Hockey League. And I think it's terrible if I do it and the information's wrong. So, Eric, thank you for correcting me. I really appreciate it. Anyways, now that I've gone ahead and aired that, let's go ahead and cut to part two of our interview with Jerome DuPont. Game three ships back to Detroit on April 14th, and like the previous two games, it was all Hawks. This time, the Hawks offense powered past the Red Wings 8-2. There are 23 goals scored in this series, an NHL playoff record for three games. Who were some of the high-powered offensive guys on your team that you felt were responsible for this, this push of goals? Well, we we had a lot of a lot of offense. You know, I mean, starting with the Savard Larmer Seacourt line. I mean, that was an incredible line. And then you had, uh, I think, you know, we had the RP, RPM line that well that year as well. Roskowski, Preston, and Mulvey. And then you had Tommy Tommy Lysiak with Sutter. And um, you know, the the whoever played the right kind of varied a little bit. That sometimes it was Peter Marsh, or it could have been. Uh, Kerr, or, you know, probably rotate a little bit. Yeah, maybe even old check. You know, at, at, at any given time. So, I, I mean, and then the fourth line was you know made up of guys that you know were typically real responsible defensively. Rick Patterson was one of them, and um, you know, so so there was a real good crew of, of players there uh, that um, could could generate offense, and it, and it made it difficult for other teams to key on, you know, just the Savard line because uh, the other lines were, were real good as well. You come off the series, you've won. We haven't really talked about off the ice, living in Chicago at all. A young guy in the city. What were your experiences like with the city? And was there anybody on the team you were close with? Yeah, well, I, I, um, I was. Uh, interesting enough, um, when I when I made the team when I was 19, I, I knew I'd have to, you know, show that I, I really wanted to be there. So I, I ended up fighting, you know, Al Secord a couple times in camp. And, you know, I think it showed Pulford and company that I meant business and I wasn't wanting to go back to play another year junior, even though I had that eligibility. And then the ironic thing is, you know, two weeks after camp or, or you know, at the, after camp, uh, training camp ended, Al came up to me and said, you know, do you want to do you want to live with me? Uh, you know, so <laughs> that was, that was awesome. And, and I took him up on that. That was a great experience. And then I, I also live with, uh, Billy Gardner and, uh, uh, Doug Crossman, uh, at the, you know, very beginning when I was there. Uh, so there's a lot of, you know, good friendships that were made. I, you know, kind of regret that, uh, you know, I, do, I haven't maintained them as well as I, I should to be candid. Uh, but I do go back once in a while and then see some of these guys and it's, it's great to see them next round. You guys end up drawing the Minnesota North Stars, and this is going to be a different series than the Detroit Red Wings. The quarterfinals, first round, the two teams are not strangers. During the playoffs, you had met in 82, 83, and 84. And one word that kept coming up when I researched the North Stars Blackhawks playoffs is the word bloody. 
These things had yeah. absolute wars in them. Yes. What, what was the mid- reputation of the Minnesota North Stars in the mid '80s? Well, they 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 had some talent. Obviously, the the Bobby Smiths and the Steve Paynes of the world and the Cicerellis. You know, those guys were really really good players. And I, you know, uh, Boughton was also one of their players. Uh, um, Neil Broughton, I think, is or Bond, and last name is escaping me a bit. But I mean, they, they had a real good group of, of, of talented players, and they also had some really tough players, both uh, up front and on the back end. Richter on the back end, uh, uh, up front uh, is it Coolis? You know, they, they had mm-hmm. some some really tough tough guys. Plus, uh, they were they were solid between the pipes, so we knew it wasn't going to be easy. Um, for some reason, they matched up really well against us, and. Uh, Rick Marouk was another player that they had. Uh, um, Medano might have been there then, maybe not. Uh, but, but you know, regardless of who was, I mean, they, they were a good team. Dino Cicerelli fascinates me. You played defense against him. How hard is he to move out of the crease? Well, hard to move out of the crease, but he, he was smart. You know, he got there at the right time. You know, he wouldn't necessarily just stand there, although he was prepared to take punishment and you had to, you know, really, you know, uh, be forceful to get him get him out of there. But, you know, he, he his timing was, was, was great. He anticipated shots and got there, you know, just before or just uh, as the shot got to the net. So he was either there to screen or, or to pounce on a rebound or re- redirect, you know. So he was just a really you know, smart uh, hockey player. And, you know, in my opinion, a goal scorer, natural goal scorer, um, you know, and obviously, um, you know, his uh, career reflects that. Uh, So, yeah, he was, he was really uh, a challenge to deal with. And, you know, he wasn't necessarily a guy that I played up against too, too much. Although when we didn't get our matchups, you know, he was definitely uh, more than a handful. (laughs) I bet. I mean, the guy had over like 600 goals and, and the goals keep coming in this series. The Minnesota North Stars get out to an eight to five lead in this, or I'm sorry, they win this game eight to five. And your old roommate, Al Sacord, after the game comments, maybe winning these three opening games with the Detroit, the way we did made us think it would be easy. Now we know it won't be. What was I remember that, and 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 that's you know that's some some real astute <laughs> uh, veteran you know uh, commenting because you know what what happened last year is totally irrelevant for the next right. And that's what I was going to ask you. What was your feeling afterwards? And it sounds like Sikord's comments summarize things pretty well. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you know, the reality is is uh, they you know were a different team that you know, was very determined and uh, they had beaten us before. So they knew they could do it again. And, you know, they, they proved just that in the first game. Game two was on a Sunday night back at the Chicago stadium and team captain Daryl Sutter guarantees a win in game two. He's quoted in the Chicago Tribune as saying, we'll even it up. I guarantee it. What kind of team captain was Daryl? We haven't touched on him much. He was a great captain. Uh, He, you know, he led by example, but at the same time would step up once in a while and, and say what he needed to say to kind of, uh, you know, set the record straight. Um, but more than anything, you know, he led by example, you know, going to the net to, uh, you know, to screen the goalie, to redirect and, you know, taking, you know, in one you know, one instance, you know, Doug, Doug Wilson's slap shot to the, to the jaw, breaking his, you know, basically mm. breaking his face mm. uh, to do what he, you know, what he needed to do. Now, he wasn't. Uh, a big guy he wasn't overly strong but uh he had great hands uh great instincts for the game and a, a real good quick release shot and and uh and he was clutch and and i think if if uh it's it's the right year i mean he scored the the overtime winner to win that 
that series, if I'm not mistaken. And I believe I got an assist on that goal, and so did Tommy Elysiak, So Good memory. Very good memory. The Hawks do their part and get the win over the Stars. Kurt Fraser led the way in Game 2 with a pair of goals. I wasn't familiar with Kurt at all. I remember when he coached the Atlanta Thrashers, and he's gone on to have a pretty good coaching career. Could you see the – was he an X's and O's guy back then that you could see he might be a coach down the road? Well, he, he was he was an interesting guy. You know, from what I understand, he was a black belt in karate. Oh, wow. But above that, he was, uh, you know, a musician, uh, played the guitar and played it well. And and you talk about toughness, you know, he's a guy that had to be added to that list that I forgot. You know, he was as tough as tough as nails. I mean, we acquired him because a couple of years prior to that, you know, he single-handedly uh, beat uh, the Calgary Flames and took Willie Plett out of that series uh, where Vancouver, you know, you know beat Calgary. And uh, and uh, I know we were really fortunate to get him in the, in a trade um, after that. And he was he was. A, a key player for us. I had no idea about that, him as a player. And he sounds like a pretty articulate guy. Is there anybody else that sticks out into your mind that was maybe a little bit different from everybody else and had some different hobbies or anything like that? Well, I mean, everybody's, you know, back, back in our day, you know, guys played, you know, more than one sport typically. Today, mm-hmm. it's changed and it's, you know, 11 months of hockey, and you know, hockey, hockey, hockey. And I, and I think that, you know, everybody that, that, played on our team you know was were good athletes you know over and above um uh, being you know good at hockey you know uh, put a golf club in bobby murray's hands or doug wilson's hands or you know you know anybody else for that matter and and you know they could they could play a pretty mean game of golf i wouldn't be included in that group <laughs> um but you, you know whatever it was you know baseball um uh <laughs> you know uh, tennis whatever i mean the guys were good good athletes i, I think uh, you know, some guys, well, like, for instance, Al was interesting. Uh, he was taking his, you know, his flying, uh, uh, he, he took on to flying, Al Secret, that is, when we were playing. And I remember going out on on flights with him, you know, when he was, you know, pr- learning his craft, and, and you know, in, in a Cessna. And, uh, you know, so there was a guy that was thinking, well, I, b- I better start getting ready for life after hockey. I mean, I, I did my university as I played, which, you know, not, not too many guys did. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, there's all sorts of different types. I mean, you know, Jimmy Ralph, who was with the uh, franchise for a bit, was, was, was truly uh, a comedian, you know. Um, and, you know, now he's gotten into broadcasting and he does a phenomenal job with that. So, so, so these guys are, are, are achievers is what they are. And um, Successes. Uh, yeah, and they, anything they, they really want to put their minds to, they, they're good at, you know. Game three is a come-behind win for the Blackhawks as they topple the North Stars 5-3. to three. Prior to game four, though, North Stars head coach Glenn Somner decides he's going to switch up his lineup and go with Don Beaupre and Nett instead of Stars workhorse Giles Malak. Um, with a different Coley coming in, does that shake things up for you guys? Is it hard to play against a team when they switch? Did that throw you for a loop or anything like that? I, I think it's more psychological, you mm-hmm. know, other than anything else. I mean, you know, you expect teams to to make adjustments. Obviously, uh, Glenn, you know, made a good decision, you know, in, in switching it up. Melosh, you know, was good, but maybe not good enough. Um, so why not, right? And, and they yeah. needed uh, to... Um, you know, change the course, and, and obviously that helped. In the Chicago Tribune, writer Neil Milbert wrote that both Troy Murray and Dennis Savard were a bit worse for the whale. Al Secord also supposedly had the flu. At this point in the series, guys are beaten up. It got me thinking when I when I saw this. Now the players get such good medical attention. Did you guys have those 
tools and that um, uh, access to that kind of medical attention back then? Well, I mean, I, I think they did the best they could under the circumstance. Mm-hmm. You know, Dr. Kolb and his crew were, were good people and and were good at what they did. But, I mean, it's, it's come such a long way since then. Um, you know, diet. I mean, uh, that's, you know, a key thing. Uh, you know, how you how you train. Um, I, I know personally that the year you're talking about, I started the year off at 210 and after 110 games, because that's what it was when you factor in exhibition, I was 191. Yeah. So, so the reality is, is, you know, (laughs) you didn't eat quite as well. And even if you, you, you ate real well, I mean, you'd still lose weight because, it's uh, it's so exhausting to play in in you know it, it, not only in a, in a long season but in these incredibly competitive playoff games. Just twenty seconds into the game four, Harold Snepitz took a run at Eddie Olchuk, and Kurt Frazier immediately got into it with Willie Platt. This game was a pretty rough one. Did the Hawks feel that the North Stars were trying to intimidate them and play with that rough and physical play? And I know this was not a team you guys were not a team to be you know messed with. Yeah, I mean, you got to do what you got to do to be successful. I mean, they they may may have thought that that was, you know, the 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 way to go, but we were not a team that could be intimidated. In fact, I I feel that, you know, we were better when teams tried to take liberties. And um, you know, it uh if anything it would have fueled our fire. Game 5 was supposed to be the last game of the season series, but the Blackhawks gave up a 4-0 lead to lose to the North Stars 5-4. Jerome, that sounds miserable. You guys were up three to one in the series. What happened? Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm not sure exactly. You know, maybe we took took the, our foot off the pedal. You know, uh, but uh, you know, we, we were making things uh, more difficult on ourselves. That's for sure. So we had to, you know, pull up our socks. And uh, I think we wanted. It was in Game Six that we won in overtime, if, if I'm not mistaken. Daryl Sutler had the overtime goal in Game Six. It had to be amazing. You guys won six to five. And it had to be such a sense of relief. Um, it, this series had three overtime games in it. Uh, I mean, so you talk about playing 110 games. Really, you played more than that this season because there were so many overtime games. Yes. You get off the ice and you find out you're playing the Edmonton Oilers in the next round. Again. Walk me through <laughs> that, please. Well, you, you know what? I mean, you know, in order to be the best, you got to you got to beat the best, right? And and uh, you know, the unfortunate thing for us is that they were in the same conference as us, and we always had to get by them, uh, you know, to you know potentially get to the Stanley Cup final, which obviously we didn't didn't succeed at doing. But that particular year, if I'm not mistaken, we took them to Game Six, and you know, it was it was a great series that could have you know gone either way. I mean, they were they were the best. Uh, team in the league, no doubt. I think that particular year, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they beat Philly in five, and, mm-hmm. and arguably we were the second best team in the league. And I, I firmly believe we were that year. I don't know if I could say that uh, prior to that particular year, but um, we gave them a good run. And uh, uh, I know if I, I again, I think we lost the first two in their building, and then won the next two in ours, and then we went back and then they beat us in theirs and then they beat us um, in game six in our building. But, um, uh, and maybe, maybe I'm off, but. Um, no, you, 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 I mean, your memory is excellent. So the, yeah. I guess the impression I'm getting with the Edmonton Oilers back then is they were the team that everybody had circled on their calendar. You knew sure. when they were coming into town. I mean, they had Gretzky, they had Messier. 
And game one is back in Edmonton. And evidently, Orville Tessier had gone on a rampage just a few years before when he was coaching the team and gave a, a speech that was known as the heart transplant speech. Yeah. Do you remember anything about that? What was that? Well, I think that's when he lost the team, right? You know, he was questioning the heart of the players. And, I mean, our team had, you know, a ton of heart. I'm not saying that everybody, you know, was, uh, you know, filled with as much heart as, as some. But, I mean, at, you know, for lack of better words. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but at the end of the day, I mean, there was a ton of character in that room. So that was that was a dumb thing to say. And, and you know, I think ultimately it came back to bite him. Game one did not get off to a good start for the Blackhawks. It ended up being an 11-2 loss. Murray Bannerman got pulled. Uh, that had to be difficult. And, and you mentioned that they were such a, a deep team, the Oilers were. Doug Wilson and Keith Brown were both out of the lineup. If those guys had been not injured and, and been back in the lineup, do you think things might have been a little bit different? Well, yeah, maybe. Like I remember uh, finishing... Uh, game six versus Minnesota, and and I was one of four D because you know yeah, those you guys, guys were down yep. down and out, right? So, um, you know, when you lose, arguably, you know, you, you well, Doug being our best defenseman, and Brownie was a top four defenseman. When you lose those guys, it, and you're playing the best offensive team in the league, I mean, it's 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 a challenge, right? So, <laughs> safe to say, um, you know, we weren't we weren't equal to the task in game one. Game two was another loss at Edmonton as the Oilers beat the Blackhawks this time 7-3. to three. You ended up fighting Kevin McClelland during this game. Do you remember what led to this scrap and, and kind of anything about it? Well, just incredibly frustrated, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like losing and McClellan was a, a shit disturber. You know, I, I mean, he's a good guy. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, he was definitely was doing, his his, yeah. doing his thing. Um, so, you know, it was just trying to... Uh, you know, maybe change the momentum a bit. Uh, I'm not sure that, you know, I achieved that goal. But, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, uh, you got to show that you care. The Edmonton media had almost written you guys off. And, and I thought this was really interesting. They basically were saying that the series was over. How did the Blackhawks locker room, how did your team captain, Daryl Sutter, how did everybody internally react when they saw that? How did you guys yeah, feel I, about I mean, the series? It, it was a motivator. I mean, it was, you know, it became... Uh, you know, you know, to some extent, you know, us against the rest of the world, you know, to some extent. Right. Uh, and, and you know, when you've got character, you know, you dig deep and, uh, you know, the next two games uh, went better and uh, we made a series of it. Doug Wilson had come back for game three, was um, back in the lineup, as you mentioned, or I'm sorry, he would go on to miss game three. He was injured in game two. One of the huge issues during those first two games was Dennis Savard, Al Sicord, and Steve Larmer really couldn't get the scoring going. And I'm, I'm assuming it was the defense that really shut them down. And, and we always hear about the Oilers' high-powered offense, but we don't hear much about their defense. This team, they had Grant Fuhrer and Nett. Defensively, what were they like? Well, they're a puck possession team, uh, and they they did that better than anybody in the league. Uh, they really relied on their goaltending, though. You know, they, they, they played um, a style of play that... Uh, at times uh, would, uh, uh, you know, uh, result in, in some good scoring chances against them. And uh, Fuhrer, <laughs> believe me, uh, because I, I remember, you know, vividly, you know, him literally standing on his head in, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, game, game six in our building, you know, that we lost, like he was – unbelievable and, and frankly i think we deserved a better fate but the result you know was uh, in edmonton's favor 
I mentioned Denny Savard a few minutes ago. You guys came in through the first round together. Were you close with Denny at all? Yeah, I was. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I don't talk to him a ton now, but I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a phone call and, you know, you're you're kind of on the same wavelength real quick because, uh, you know, you, to some extent, you know, grew up together. Um, good guy, you know, um, kept it light, uh, but, you know, when he hit the ice, he, you know, he came to play and needless to say, he was dynamic. I still can't get over those clips of those spinorama moves he used to do. Just unbelievable. Yeah, no, no doubt. Returning back to Chicago for games three and four, Jack O'Callaghan didn't get the memo from the Edmonton media. He scores a Bobby Orr-like goal. Murray Bannerman finally got his first win against the Oilers. Wayne Gretzky was also kept off the scoreboard during this game. After the game in the Chicago Tribune, he was quoted as saying, if I did anything wrong, it was watching Murray. I have to get him chasing me. I believe Troy Murray was drawn, drawn the assignment of going against the great one and against Wayne Gretzky. He was, yeah. He did it that night. And Troy. How yeah, do you- no, he was fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, listen, you, it's hard to uh, – listen, special teams is different, but five-on-five, five, you know, with the right uh, matchups. Um, I mean, Troy was was great in the face-off circle. So, uh, you know, when he was up against Wayne, probably won more than the share face-off. So that's a good way to start because best defense is, uh, is when you have the puck. And, you know, he was a smart guy. You know, he – he realized that you know his main role was to to shut him down. If he if he created some offense, that was a bonus. But his his main priority was to keep uh, you know Wayne, if not off the scoreboard, um, you know uh, you know reduce his production. If if, if not, uh, you know keep him off the scoreboard. The following Sunday night, the Blackhawks turned this road trip into a nightmare for the visiting Edmonton Oilers. You end up winning eight to six, and the Oilers after the game said they were pelted throughout the game with toilet paper and all sorts of other stuff. I love the Chicago stadium. How did you beat the Oilers at their own game? They were unstoppable at this time. What you guys, I mean, this is incredible. You guys are right there. And and I guess part of it is you guys were such a deep team. We were, and like I said, we could score and, 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 and they, you know, they at times weren't that good defensively. Um, yeah, they could shut it down and obviously they're Stanley cup champions. So no one would ever take that away from them, you, you know, but I mean, the, the reality is, is that, um, uh, you know, the game's changed a bit. I think today um, teams are, are b- even better defensively than they were back in our day. Uh, the goaltending's even uh, better uh, overall. And uh, uh, But, you know, we, we, were, we were able to score, you know, when we were on our game, and we proved that. It was all Oilers, though, in Game 5. And while Gretzky had a good game, the talk was Paul Coffey set an NHL record with six points in one game, five assists and a goal. You also fought Dave Lumley. The game ended. It was seven to four. Um, you go from highs of highs to to, to back, kind of wondering what's going to happen. And then game six ends up, as you said, the the potent offense of the Edmonton Oilers was just too much for the Blackhawks. The series ends. How did you feel after this run? Well, um, I think exhausted would be mm-hmm. one of the words. Um, but you know, you're disappointed. But it's. It, even though it's a disappointment, you know when you when you when you stand you know stand back and and look at it, it's still uh, you know a real good achievement. There, there's nothing like uh, playing deep in the playoffs. Um, you know, there's nothing like it. Like it's it's a high of highs. You're you're underneath a microscope. Okay, fine, fine. You're not in the final two, but you're in the final four, and uh, it sure seems like everybody's watching uh, your every move. And it's 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 pretty is a pretty special time. Jerome, 
the season comes to an end, and and as we wrap things up, I've got to ask the Wirtz family: What was your experiences like with them? Uh, well, they were they were great owners. I mean, we we got treated like royalty. Uh, you know, from you know training camp onward. You know, they'd have the whole group of of uh, sixty players on their you know on their yacht, the Blackhawk, uh, to kind of kick off the season. And oh, that's you know, cool. They were, yeah, that was neat. And and you know, when they put on a a good you know party uh, after the season you know even after we lost and and we're always there for us um you know for uh you, you know through through the through the good and the bad right i mean because uh you know when you've got you know 20 25 uh uh, strapping young men that you know are <laughs> running about town. Uh, you know it's not always uh, not always pretty, and uh, they were you know always there to support the group. And and uh, I don't think we could ask for much better ownership. Oh, I'm sure they were a little bit different than who you would go play for later with Harold Ballard in the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> we'll save that. Let's not go there. We'll save that for another episode, Jerome. Before we kick it off, though, before we sign off, what are you up to now, buddy? Uh well, I, I coach Junior A. I've got a center of hockey excellence. I've got another business called Personal Hockey Coach. But really what, what, I, what I'm all about is trying to help uh, uh, young elite hockey players get an education out of hockey. And, and, and that's that's what I do every day. And, you know, I, I like what I do. I can see myself doing it a long, long time. Do you have a website or anything if people want to get a hold of you? Yeah, if you go to centerofhockeyexcellence.com, it uh, – It'll, uh, or just search my name, uh, you know, not Jerry DuPont, but Jerome DuPont. It'll, it'll, it'll pop up and, uh, uh, you know, by all means, don't hesitate to contact. Last thing I also always ask everybody, I give everybody an open forum. If there's a funny story or something that they want to share, is there anything in your career, uh, a story maybe that sticks out that you want to share from any era? You know what? Uh, I don't know if it's so much a story, but uh, I mean, it's, it's, you know, for the guys that are playing, it's it. It'll you know, as 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 much as I enjoy my life now and have a good life, and I love to coach, and I've had you know a lot of success coaching. There's nothing like playing the game, um, and the highs that that go with it. Yeah, sure, there's lows, and you know you've got to manage those swings. But uh, I would just say you know savor it, you know, uh, because uh, I don't know if there's anything that you're going to do in your lifetime that's going to um, you know, be as much fun, you know, sure. Having a child is incredible or getting married is incredible, that type of thing. But I'm talking about it in terms of, you know, what is, is called work. <laughs> I'm not sure I would call it that. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's the best time of your life. I want to thank Jerome again for coming on. Great interview. Love Jerome DuPont. Wish him the best of luck coaching in the OJHL. Uh, it was interesting what he said about the Wirtz family and how much he really liked them and they always took care of the players and things like that. I know a lot of fans didn't like him, but every player I've talked to, which isn't a lot that were involved in the Chicago organization, most of them have had good things to say about the Wirtz family. You know, I know that they had the controversial decision that, hey, we don't want to air home games. After all, we want to take care of our season ticket holders. And that kind of proved not to be the best strategy. But, you know, sometimes I guess you got to learn to figure out how things work and make mistakes until you get it right. So anyways, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History.